Well, it's great that we can be together to, to worship the Lord again another Sunday morning. It's uh, the time of the year when uh, some, some of the schools have already broken up and some people have already headed off on holidays. And, uh, and uh, I think it's next, next, end of next week is when all the, all the state schools finish and we've got our carols night on, on next Sunday night, which is going to be a, a great event. And uh, ask you to can you pray for that. There are, I don't know whether there are any leaflets that are still wanting to be distributed. They need to be distributed around the area. They're, they were on the table just as you came into the church there with maps and things. Check if you've still got some time on your hand, you want to do some of that, please uh, have a look and see if they're still there. It, uh, it would be very helpful to have the Carol's Night advertised around the area by leaflets going in people's letterbox. And we're praying that these, they won't just be part of the junk mail, but they'll be, uh, can, people will take them and... Uh, come along. But the, be the best way of doing it, of course, is by personal invitation, isn't it? That's the best way to get anybody to, to come along to something and to, to, or to even go and bring them along yourself if you're able. Uh, it'll be a great night next uh, Sunday night. Well, today we're going to commence a series on a uh, Christmas series, which is uh, we're going to be looking at some of the names that are uh, re the names of the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at that passage in Isaiah 11 that Leone just read for us and we'll be referring to a, little bit, a few other passages there in Isaiah as well. Uh, but the first thing is, the question I'd like to ask you, is the world getting better or is it getting worse? Well, some of us might wonder, well, yes, but by going by some of the things we're hearing about or, you know, I'm not really that sure about our work, whether it's becoming worse or whether we just have far better uh, communication systems and we know that things are happening and you know they, they sort of come up you know immediately don't they we we see them as they're happening and so that's you know, one of the things we're aware of probably because I, I think it's probably a mixture of both but I think also because our our world population is is increasing you know so much and it's increased so much for what it was in the past I, I think also there there may be there, you know whether it's the amounts of things that are happening are, are in proportion to the population I tend to think possibly but I think more I think it probably is getting a bit worse, but I'm not won't be I'm not absolutely sure about that. One of the things I'm sure of is that the prophet Isaiah, when he when he may have felt that things couldn't get much worse in the time that he lived back there in the eighth century BC, that we've just read a part of his prophet his prophecy. We are certainly aware that uh, uh, as we look around our world that things are getting bad, but Isaiah had really was aware back in his time of all of the the spiritual and the, the social and the economic and the moral uh, de you know, degeneration that was going on around him. And one of the things is that, uh, uh, one of the things we'll find is that Isaiah addressed those and spoke about them to his people. But what I'm going to do is just to start, we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1 and just talk very briefly a little bit of the, the background of the book of Isaiah and how we, we, and try and sort of give a bit of a fill in to the first six chapters very, very quickly and then go on to chapter 7 and talk about chapter 7. It was during you know, the vision in Isaiah 1, 1 it says, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah the son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he was a prophet for quite a, a long period of time and he began his ministry in about 740 BC. Uh, just give you a few little personal details about him that's not on they're not on my powerpoint presentation his his name means the the lord saves and he was certainly wanting to let people know that the lord saves 
One of the things was that he was a prophet that was there in Jerusalem and he had contact with the, with the king. Uh, he had, you know, contact with the, the, the sort of leading people of Jerusalem. And while he was a prophet there, there were prophets in other parts of the country. There was Micah was out there in the countryside of Judea um, bringing prophecy and Amos and Hosea were also prophesying up in the northern kingdom of Israel at the same time. One of the things is Isaiah really confronted the sins of those in power who exploited the poor. And you find that as you go through, if you read through chapters 1 through to 5, written in the Hebrew poetry that these are put together, there's a lot of vivid descriptions of some of the social evils and the, the social injustices that were being committed. Also, if you go through the book of Amos, you'll see the same sort of thing was happening in the northern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah understood also that the world belongs to God. One of the things is that he really seems to affirm that God created it and that God had authority to intervene in whatever way he wanted to into the, the affairs of this world. And uh, one of the things is I'm just going to quickly just give a rundown on some of the characteristics of the leaders that were around at that time because we've talked about those. And also I'll do, first of all, I'll look at the, uh, the country of Israel, which is the northern kingdom. The kings of Israel followed each other. They were in, in quick succession where they continue to, to perpetuate their, their sin and idolatry. Uh, in Israel, uh, Jeroboam II also was an exception to this. He reigned for 41 years and he gave a stability to this country at the same time that Uzziah was around. So there was a fair bit of, when the kings were there for a long time, it meant that the, the country was stable. It meant that they, the, there wasn't so much upheaval, but what was happening was that the the richer people were exploiting the poorer people. They weren't living very godly lives. They weren't following God and living by God's rules that they, they should have been doing. And instead, they seemed to exploit one another. And so it was a, you know, one of those situations where the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Uh, those in power were able to uh, lord it over those who were without power. And so there was a, a lot of social injustice going on. Let's just quickly look at, uh, the, quickly run through the, the kings of Judah, which we read about in chapter 1 and verse 1. Uzziah, uh, he reigned for 52 years, for a long time. He was a, a, essentially a, a good king, uh, essentially a God who was seeking to follow God, but he let a lot of the, a lot of the evil continue there. Just this last week, I've read through the, the accounts in Kings and Chronicles of all of these kings, and just to refresh my memory of, of how they behaved. One of the things was that Uzziah became very proud in himself as he went on in life. He became very self-sufficient. He overstepped his position uh, and he offered incense in the temple, which he wasn't supposed to do. And he was stritten, spitten down with leprosy and he ended up dying in, the, in a, the house of a leper, the leper's house. And so he uh, reigned, essentially was a good king, but he was, had lots of uh, imperfections in his life, like many of us. Jotham, the next king, was essentially a good king. The Ahaz, the one we're going to be talking about today, was one who led Israel away from following God, from Yahweh. In fact, he saw a replica of a, of an, of a heathen image in Damascus and he went and brought that and even instituted that into the, the, the temple in Jerusalem itself. One of the things about Ahaz was that he was very pragmatic in his uh, belief system and he, was, he trusted in the power of the, the superpowers at that time of, of Assyria and Egypt. Israel was in between these two countries, Egypt in the south, Assyria in the north. They were the two big powers, the, the, people, the powers that were seeking to control the, the, the world at that time. And uh, 
the Israel and Ayaz particularly were sort of, uh, sort of thinking well and, and sort of putting his trust in these nations and, and, uh, and uh, was aligning himself with them. And then Hezekiah was the next king that came along, but I won't make any much comment about uh, the reign of Hezekiah. All we know is that, for the, the, as we see here the, in this, this story about the, uh, as we read about a, a conversation went on, we're, well, there, there were, we're, you know, we'll look at the, as an outline now just for a brief outline of, of Isaiah chapter 7. And it's about Israel and Aram or Syria. And Syria is still around today. That it may, the borders might be a little different to what they were in those days, but it's essentially the same country. It's still there today. And if you read verse two, I'll read verse two to you and verse three to you. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people are shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Jehoshaphat, Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct in the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. And so here, we're you know, describing how that there's these two nations have conspired to attack Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria. They had joined together, they had lined themselves together and they're getting ready to attack. And so here we find that uh, Isaiah is calling Ahaz to, <coughs> to come and, and meet with him. And so the, the Lord is going to, to speak through Isaiah and, uh, and to talk to him about the situation. And as I've mentioned, uh, Ahaz was a pragmatic fellow. He was thinking in terms of, well, the best thing we can do is either get aligned with either Assyria or Egypt and watching and waiting to see which one he's thinking is going to be the, the stronger of the two, which one's going to the, be the best to, to align themselves with. So was, that's what he, essentially what was going on in, in summary. And so the Lord speaks through Isaiah and he says to him, say to him, be careful, keep calm. And don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the, the son of Remaliah. And so he's sort of, Lord is coming through, speaking through Isaiah and, and reminding him, you know, reminding him that these are only mere people. He's doing in a very, uh, using a lot of words, using very descriptive words, but essentially what he's saying is these guys are, yeah, they're not, they're only mere men talks about them as, as smouldering stubs of firewood. And uh, so he's really saying they're, they're really not that powerful. They're not that sort, not, they haven't got as much as strength and power as you might think. And he's sort of letting them know that they are mere men. And then he goes on in verses five to six, he refers to the, the, you know, the fact of their plots and how they're going to, to invade and uh, they're planning to come and to invade. And then he goes on in verse seven, he gives the, the message to Ahab, yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. They will not be successful. You know, so here, he, he, you know, the Lord is telling Ahab that he was in control of the situation. You know, and he's giving a very clear instruction. He's going to give some very clear instructions to Ahab. And he is, who seemed to be trusting in the, the superpowers of Egypt and Assyria. Yeah, he's letting him know that these, your enemies are, are just mere men. And he goes on in verse 8. He's, and he reinforces this idea. For the head of Aram is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is only resin. 
Within 65 years, Ephraim will be, will be too shattered to be a people. So he's saying, hey, this, this using the word Ephraim, he's describing, the, talking about the, the ten tribes. The prophet Hosea does the same thing, about the, writing about the same time, referring to these ten northern tribes by the, the name of Ephraim, which is the, 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 the tribe, one of the, the tribes of Joseph. The two, Ephraim, who is the son of Joseph, the, which was the significant tribe amongst the, the ten tribes, the, the leading tribe. And so he's referring to this whole ten group, the group of ten tribes under this one name of Ephraim. He said, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. So he's reiterating that these are just mere people. And so he goes on and he's, he, he's really going, saying, God has told you, know, told, he's going to start telling them really that they need to have faith in him, faith in God rather than faith in people. And verse 9b, in the last part of nine, verse 9, it says, if, if you do not stand firm with your faith, you will not stand at all. So he's reminding them of the need to have faith in God and to stand firm and to trust in God. And so in this situation, Ahaz was thinking in terms of trusting the, the, the superpowers of Egypt or Assyria, and in his mind thinking of how that, and that's what his actions were indicating that that's what he was doing. And so it comes down to the, the thing of where he's put, where Isaiah is speaking for the Lord's, and brings the Lord's message, he says, ask the Lord for a sign. You know, ask God for a sign to confirm that he's at work in this situation. And Ahaz refused to obey and he refused to ask God for, for the sign. He refused to ask for the sign. But different to some of the other people when you think in terms of the Old Testament. I was thinking in terms of places where people have asked for sign. I can think of, of one where, go back to the, the, top, back to the book of Judges, <coughs> where Gideon, he, he was the opposite. He was trying to get out of doing what God was selling and he asked God for, to, to make, you know, with the fleeces. And he, he asked in, in two, two, for, to the sign to come in, in two different ways. One for it to be, for the Jew to go on the, the fleece and the other time when the, the, the Jew not to go on the fleece. He asked for a sign that way. But here Ahaz is, we're going to find Ahaz in verse 10. It says, and again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord God for a sign, whether it be the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So Ahaz is, here he is, refusing to do what God has told him to do through the prophet. He's refusing to obey God. He's refusing to go ahead. He's, he's sort of standing back and saying, look, I, I, I don't, you know, I will not ask God. I don't want to put God to the test. And sometimes when we're faced with situations, when God is speaking clearly to us as peoples, sometimes we like to come, we sort of resist doing what God wants us to do. But I think we're probably not anything like Ahaz in the sense that we were leading, he was leading a nation and particularly leading them not to follow God, but leading them away from God. And so here the Lord continued to speak through the prophet. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of Jacob. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of God also? He's coming through and he's really letting him know that, he, that, that the Lord's not pleased with his response. The Lord's not pleased with what he's saying. And so here, it comes down to the point that the, then suddenly we find in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son 
and will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so here, this clear statement comes that God is going to give them a sign. Now, as you look at this verse, it seems to me as though it had a a local fulfilment at the time of Isaiah. A local fulfilment in the the time that Isaiah was alive and in the the context of the circumstances at this time. As we go on, as we read some more verses in in a few moments, we'll find that. It seemed to me that sometimes God gives a, a, the message comes through and it applies at a particular time and sometimes it also has a more complete fulfilment at a future time. And so I believe that this also is true in this, with this passage. Also the same as many of the, I believe, in many of the Old Testament uh, statements in relation to the prophets, some of them had local fulfilment and some of them will yet to have a, a future fulfilment in the, the days to come in future, future events. And so here in this passage, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so who is, the, who is this referring to? Well, it's, you know, this, it's, it's referring to the fact that a, a, an un, a betrothed young woman is going to have a child. And so some say, well, maybe it was Isaiah had one son at this stage and it tells us a little later that he had another son in, in chapter 8. And perhaps his first wife had passed away and he's about to remarry and have another child. Now that's one possible explanation. And I've read a number of other different possible explanations for what this might mean. And that seems to me to be the most likely suggestion. You know, that's the suggestion I'd like to make to you, that in that actual time, the the Emmanuel referred to the the fact that his next second son, which is called Meir Shalal Hashbaz, or which means swift to the spoil. And, uh, and seems as though that's a possible reference to this particular, a partial fulfilment of this prophecy, a way in which it applied to that particular time. Because you go, you go to verse 15, it says, he will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. So it seems as before this child really grows up and it's talking about the, he's going to eat curds and honey which was the, the food of the poor, it wasn't the food of the rich people. It seems as though it's going to be a, a time when the country is going to be impoverished and so on. But it seems to be, it's as you read on in, your, in the chapter of this, you'll see how it talks in terms about how the, the, the Lord is going to fulfil his plans and his purposes. And, talk, and, you, and if you go down from verse 17 through to verse 25, it talks about the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike since, the, since Ephraim broke away from Judah. And he will bring the king of Assyria. talks about how the king of Assyria is going to come down. And, is going to, and he did come down. And he did devastate the country, but he didn't take Judah. He just took, he took the northern tri- ten tribes into captivity. And it talks in terms here, the use of the, word, the phrase, in that day, in verse 18 and in verse 21, 20 and 21 and 23. And it talks in terms of how that, that, God, is, that God is going to bring the, the king, use the, use the king of Assyria to come down in, in judgment. And it talks about the, the devastation and all the, the things that are going to happen to the, the land. 
and it seems like that, and at that time, historically, Jerusalem was able to, was, was surrounded but not taken. But there was a lot of devastation to the country. And so here, this initial prophecy was referred to, I believe, possibly uh, Isaiah's second son. But when we come to the New Testament, we get a more complete explanation. When you come to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you look at the context of this particular statement, it was at a time when, in, if you read from Matthew chapter 18, chapter 1 verses 18 to 25 gives an outline of the, 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 what was going on talks about this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Then it goes on and it talks about that uh, uh, Joseph in verse, I'm reading the whole passage. Uh, I'll read verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous, the man did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He, He had this in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so he is, Mary is pregnant. He's betrothed to her. He's trying to make sense of this situation and the angel of the Lord speaks to him very clearly and tells him that what has happened and, he's, that was a, and that is a fulfilment of this, this passage in, in Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 17, 7, 14. It's telling him very clearly, you know, this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And so we find that here in the birth of, in the, in the conception of the Lord Jesus, the fulfilment of this particular passage. And, it, and it's one of those things, as I think about it, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The one who had made this whole universe was able to make sure that his son was conceived in this way, in this miraculous way, and that he would be God with us. And so for me, it's not, I don't find, I don't find it hard to understand and to accept, I find it hard to understand, of course, but I don't find it hard to accept the fact that the conception of the Lord Jesus came about in this way. Because as we think about it, as we go think in terms of what, what, the, the, what we've been told this morning in relation to as we have celebrated communion about remembering what the Lord has done for us. And also if you were there at the 8.30 service, there was a verse quoted and I'm going to uh, quote it, going to put a, quote again this morning from John chapter 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his one and only. His very spe- that's, a, that's a term of the, the, one who is special. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And also, and you think in terms of the, the, understand, my understanding of the fact of God with us, as I read through the Gospels, as I see all of the things that the Lord Jesus did, 
He demonstrated all the, many of the miracles that he performed and many of the, the things that he did that he was, in fact, God with us. He was the Son of God. And uh, I was just reading this week in Mark chapter 2, and the, the verse that says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The only, per, only one who can forgive sins is God alone. And because the Lord Jesus is God with us, he's able to forgive us. You know, Emmanuel has that authority to forgive us our sins. And, uh, and he also demonstrated all of the other attributes of God, of the, that he you know, knowing everything and, 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 and being able to be, in, 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 you know, excuse me, knowing everything and, and being, knowing things being, in, and demonstrating in that his, his, his om, omniscience and so on. Those, of those, some of those characteristics came through, come through in the, in the way that he acted and when he, he was alive here on this earth. But one of the greatest ones was the fact that he demonstrated that he's, when he rose from the dead, you know, the risen Lord Jesus, we, we've had that mentioned to us in our celebrating communion. And one of the, a couple of other verses that I'm going to refer to that I didn't, don't have in my PowerPoint is, but one of the other passages talks about he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 2 and, 9 and verse 9, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so as we... Think in terms of our time of this time of the year, the Christmas season, that the Lord's birth, his death and his resurrection confirm to us that he is Emmanuel and that he is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And he alone can guide us through all the decisions that we make, need to make. He can be guiding us in, in our lives. But one of the, the passage, that, the verse that I haven't, that's not up on the screen this morning is, as I think in terms of just to finish off, to wrap up what I mean trying to say this morning, in Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7 it says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, and that's back there in the Old Testament times, that's the, the ultimate what they had. But he says, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in our Emmanuel, God with us. We can trust him, we can walk with him, we can look to him in our daily lives because he is Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be together today. I want to thank you that you're a God who knows and understands everything that's going on in our, around in our world. And Lord, even though there are so many things that are happening that might perplex us, we thank you that you've sent your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. And we thank you that we can know his power and his presence and his support day by day in our lives as we seek to live for you. And so just be with us now as we go about our week, as we go about doing things throughout the rest of this day and throughout this week. May we just know his presence and his support as we seek to live for his glory because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.